the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to begin in chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to walk through these this book kind of like I used to do when I would go fishing, trout fishing in the mountains. Basically what you do when you go trout fishing is you uh, walk up the creek and you take your fishing rod and your little spinner or whatever bait you're using. Sometimes we just use corn. And you just kind of look for all the rocks that are there in the creek and you cast uh, the, the, the bait just up above the falls and you reel and bring it through. And, and you don't want to miss any falls. You don't want to miss anything. A lot of times we would, um, after uh, pridefully, after we would catch our limit uh, when we couldn't fish anymore, or maybe when we just got bored fishing, uh, we would play in the creek. And the way that you play in the creek is you walk along and you look and you pick up rocks and turn them over. In the process of picking up, you try to see what you would discover uh, maybe a crawfish or something else, see a trout or something there uh, in the water. What I want to do through our time in the book of Revelation, we've done a, a broad overview and kind of looked at the major movements. It's time to, to go back and kind of walk through the creek and turn over the rocks as we go. Uh, the book of the Revelation is a great book, and yet there are many who... Uh, choose to not study the book of Revelation. There are many pastors who have completely uh, avoided it altogether. And um, I think that's a shame. And I think I hope to convince you today that not only should we not avoid this book, but God says that we should read it. And not only should we read it, we should heed it. And in reading and heeding this book, uh, as even we will see in our text today, we will be blessed by it. So let's read Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and get these first three verses in our mind and kind of begin our introduction of this wonderful book of the Bible. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. For the time is near. Um, New American Standard. Um, for the time, for the time is near. The first thing I want to look at, or the first stone in our creek to turn over, if you would, I think certainly should be uh, the title. Uh, even in this New American Standard, it says the Revelation to John. Uh, and if you were to walk into a library, a theological library, particularly one in a campus that was more moderate or, or liberal, and look for the, the commentaries of the book related to the book of Revelation, you will see this title, The Revelation of John. The Revelation of John. Um, uh, you, you kind of, if you walk through and kind of look at those, you'll get an idea of where people stand theologically before you ever read their writing. 
This is not the revelation of John. This wasn't John's idea. John, of course, being the disciple of Jesus, whom Jesus uh, called his beloved disciple. John, of course, has written five books of the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of the Revelation. This is not the revelation, however, of John. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. John wasn't on the Isle of Patmos and thought it'd be a great idea to write down some things, to jot some notes down of what he thinks would happen. This is the revelation or the unveiling of what's to take place, uh, the, the unveiling, the revelation, the apocalypsis, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And so it's important even as we begin that we begin to read this book and to study this book, not just from a, a, a perspective of what's going to happen in the end times, but per, from the perspective of Christ being at the center and at the head. So many pastors have chosen not to study this book. Even John Calvin, the greatest commentary, a commentator of the Reformation, who wrote commentaries on other books, he did not attempt to write a commentary on Revelation. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's a shame because he had a great theological mind has contributed so much to our understanding of doctrine and theology in the church and, and the Reformation, and yet he just skipped it uh, altogether. Those who ignore Revelation, they deprive themselves of a rich treasure of divine truth. Revelation takes a high view of God's inspired Word. It claims divine inspiration for itself here in chapter 1, verse 2. It is the Word of God. It has been estimated that 278 of its 404 verses allude to or inspired from the Old Testament. So the vast majority uh, in one study, as we've looked at in the past, four out of five verses found in the book of Revelation refer to, allude to, directly quote or point to an Old Testament passage of Scripture. Revelation reveals God the Father in all of His glory and majesty, describing God the Father in Revelation chapter 4 verse 8 as holy, as true in Revelation 6.10, as omnipotent, all-powerful in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It portrays God the Father as wise in chapter 7, verse 12, sovereign in chapter 4, verse 11, and eternal in chapter 4, verse 10. So Revelation tells us some things about God the Father. And as we walk through this, we should be mindful of those things. But Revelation details also not only the holiness of God, but it details the depravity of man. Depravity is our utter sinfulness and darkness, even within ourselves, and our own inability to save ourselves. It's not that we uh, are as evil as we possibly can be, but that evil, the evil that is most possible, certainly uh, is within our capability, but for the grace of God. 
So Revelation details the depths of man's depravity. Despite experiencing the final outpouring of God's devastating wrath and judgment on sinful mankind, people will nevertheless, rather than bow the knee and repent, they will harden their hearts like Pharaoh did before them and refuse to repent. Scripture contains no clearer summation of the doctrine of redemption than that of Revelation 1.5, which has declared that Jesus Christ loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. The book of Revelation talks about the ministry of angels. The ministry of angels. Revelation warns the church of the dangers of sin and compromise with the world in chapters 2 and chapter 3. And It teaches the church how to properly worship in chapters 4 and chapter 5. So all of these things are found in the book of Revelation. And we will to our own detriment avoid the study of the book of Revelation rather than uh, embrace it. And I want to point out all these things because the the book of the Revelation, hopefully as you've just seen in in this brief introduction... um, is not just about the events and the timeline of eschatology of, of last things. There is certainly so much more in there. Now, it, it contains those truths. In fact, it contains more detail about the end times than any other book. Revelation portrays Christ's ultimate triumph over Satan. It depicts the final political setup of the world system. And describes the career of the most powerful dictator in human history, the final Antichrist. It also mentions the rapture of the church. It describes the seven-year time of tribulation, including the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. It talks about the second coming of Christ, the climactic battle of human history. It uh, the thousand-year earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ, the final judgment of unrepentant sinners the great white throne judgment and the final state of the wicked in hell and the redeemed and the new heavens and the new earth. And so all of those things are in there, but let's be reminded that this isn't the revelation of end times. This isn't the revelation of the Antichrist. Though the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist will be revealed, he will be unveiled, same word is used there. But this is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This is not the revelation of the end time events. This is not the revelation of of the church even. Folks, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, though it has the the understanding of the church, the church is found in mentioned in chapter 1, 2, and 3, and then later on in chapter 22. The tribulation, it's not the tribulation. Tribulation is only in one part of it, chapter 6 through uh, 18. Uh, but Jesus Christ, the, the, the book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, he's in every single chapter. So though these other things are vitally important and will inform our knowledge and Lord willing, God will use it to transform our heart and enable us to walk in paths of righteousness Let's first and foremost be reminded that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. In fact, it describes Him by many titles throughout this book, including the faithful witness in chapter 1, verse 5. He's the firstborn of the dead, chapter 1, verse 5. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. 
He's the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the living one, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands in chapter 2, verse 1. He's the one who has a sharp two-edged sword, chapter 2, verse 2. He's the Son of God, chapter 2, verse 18. He's the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze in chapter 2, verse 18. He's the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, chapter 3, verse 1. He's the one who is holy and who is true, chapter 3, verse 7. He's the holder of the key of David who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, chapter 3, verse 7. Jesus Christ is the Amen, the faithful and the true witness of Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. He is the beginning of the creation of God, Revelation 3, 14. He's the lion, as we sing today, He's the lion that is the from the tribe of Judah, in chapter 5, verse 5. He's the root of David, chapter 5, verse 5. He's the Lamb of God in multiple verses too many to list here. He is the Lord, holy and true in chapter 6, verse 10. He's the one who is called faithful and true in Revelation 19, 11. He's the Word of God in Revelation 19.13. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords according to 19.6. He's Christ, Messiah, ruling on earth with His glorified saints in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. And Jesus, the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Revelation also affirms the full deity of Jesus Christ. He possesses the attributes and the prerogatives of God, John MacArthur says, including sovereignty in chapter 1, verse 5, eternity in chapter 1, 17 and 18, the right to judge men, Revelation 19, 11, and to decide who lives and who dies in Revelation 1, 18 and 2, 23. Jesus is God because He receives worship in chapter 5, verse 13. And He rules from God's throne, chapter 22, verse 1. Finally, the revelation affirms His equality of essence with God the Father by applying Old Testament passages that describe God to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So this book is not an incomprehensible book. It's not a book, though there are symbols and though there are mysteries and though there are things that are difficult to understand. It's not as difficult to understand with the foundation that we have laid previously in the Old Testament. But let's first and foremost be reminded that this is about Jesus Christ and it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word revelation, apocalypso, it means the unveiling or the uncovering. It's used to speak of the New Testament uh, truth of revealing spiritual truth. Um, it, the, the picture is a, uh, art, an artist has uh, uh, carved a sculpture and it is on display and it's not yet uh, been exposed. It's there, it's in place, but it has to drape over it. And at the right time, when the pronouncement is made, the, the, the drapery of the cloth would be removed from it, revealing what was there already underneath it. It's that kind of thing. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through this book, let's certainly be reminded and, and approach this book from a Christ-centered perspective. But where did these things come from? Jesus 
He's not really mentioned in the prologue. We'll see him a, a little bit later. But this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now look at this. Which God gave. I think that's important as well. Because again, this is not John's idea. John didn't come up with what he hoped would happen. John didn't study the scriptures and piece together the things that that he thought should happen. God gave the revelation of Jesus Christ. He gave him to show his bondservants. Now look at this. The things which must soon take place. Because God is sovereign, we are simply awaiting these things to happen. We are uh, not questioning whether or not they will happen. Liberal theology will certainly question whether these things, they would say that these things haven't happened. And Bible-believing, conservative Christians who hold to the truthfulness of God's Word, the inerrancy, the infallibility of God's Word, would say that these things haven't happened yet. But notice what it says there, the things which must soon take place. Same word Jesus used in John chapter 3 when he looked at Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. There's no way to get to to God. There's no way to get to heaven apart from being born again. In order to be saved, you must be born again. And the same word there is used here referring to the things that must take place. The things that that will take place, they must. It's, It's more than just a hope and a pipe dream. These are the things that God says which must take place. And so He sent and He communicated it by His angel. God took the revelation of Jesus Christ. He communicated it to His angels to reveal it to John. And so He communicated it by His angel to His bondservant John. And now look at John's part in chapter 1, verse 2. Three things that we see here about John's part in this is notice that it is John who testified to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And even thirdly, even to all that he saw. So John is testifying really in, in three ways. First of all, he's testifying to The Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is that which has been revealed to John. It would be the Scriptures. Remember, uh, the book of Revelation was written around approximately A.D. 90 to 95. It was when the book of the Revelation was actually written down. Uh, Prior to the Bible being completed, uh, of course, no one had a full copy in the first century church of the entire Bible. They would have letters circulated by Paul and they certainly would have parts of the, of the Old Testament. But no one would have a copy of the Scriptures in their home. Those would be kept in a church and protected and reserved. And, and then at the time that they would gather together, Acts chapter 2 says that they met daily and they went from, from house to house. They would pull out the parchments. They would pull out the Word of God and they would study God's Word together. John understood that what his task was, was he was testifying to the Word of God. So he was taking the Word of God that had been known and given and reading and studying, applying just like you and I should be doing every day. But even more than that, it says the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Remember, John is unique in the sense that he is one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He wasn't just one of the many disciples. He wasn't just one of the twelve. But Peter, James, and John were in that inner circle uh, with Jesus. Uh, And even within that inner circle, the things that Jesus would allow those three to experience that the others would only hear about by testimony later on, John was there. But then of the three, John would be the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he would be the one sitting next to Jesus, for example, and resting on his bosom at the institution of the Lord's Supper while they were reclining around uh, the table. But it's also important to see that not only is the Word of God the the testimony of Jesus Christ, but even to all... Now look at this, that He, that John saw in the giving of the book of Revelation, God took John and somehow, someway gave him a vision. Though the word vision is only found one time in the Bible, that's exactly what what happens. Um, There was uh, one place in the book of Revelation that talks about uh, uh, an actual vision. But but all throughout we see uh, things where John says over and over and over again, And I saw, and I saw, and I saw. In fact, look at Revelation chapter 5 verse 1 because it plays in. This is God uniquely in some way took John... And, and revealed these things, showed him things. So John is writing down the words, the testimony of Christ, but also writing down what he saw. Let's just take a look. For example, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, um, um, well, look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. After these things, I looked, and behold, so he's looking and, and he's seeing. Chapter 5, verse 1, I saw in the right hand of him, who sat on the throne a book. Chapter 5, verse 2, And I saw. Chapter 5, verse 6, And I saw. And you could go uh, all the way through chapter 11. And then I looked, and then I heard. Chapter 6, verse 1, Then I saw. Chapter 6, verse 2, I looked. And so you could go all the way through and you can see that there are certain parts of this. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw. So time and time again, what's being recorded under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit are the words that John saw. The things that he saw. The the heavenly pictures and images. The the details and things that, that he saw. And did his very best to take the heavenly imagery and the beauty of heaven and the devastation of all the things that he would see. And somehow, in some way, try to capture those things and put them in words, in languages, so that we could understand it. You think about the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's important that we see what this book is. Some people are feeling very overwhelmed about the study of the book of Revelation. And some say, you know, it's too difficult. There's too many things that we really ought not to be studying it. But I I want you to see and understand that, that God's Word says that we should study it. In fact, it says there's a blessing if you 
do so. Look, look with me, if you will. Hold your place right here in Revelation 1, though. But go back with me to, to Matthew's Gospel. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. I want to show you something. Matthew chapter 5, if you are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you know that Matthew chapter 5 is the, uh, or the, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, chapter 5 is, are the Beatitudes. Um, now, these are not uh, the, the, the be happies. Um, you know, when it says blessed are you, blessed are you, it's not just happy are you on, on these things. I tend to agree with uh, my professor, Dr. Greg Harris, who said, and I've heard many others say, and you've heard me say this as well, that God is not interested in your happiness as much as He's interested in your holiness. Your holiness. And yet there's a blessing to these things. And so we have what's called the the Beatitudes um, in chapter 5. And we see this in verse 3. For example, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we see chapter 4, blessed are those who mourn. Chapter 5, blessed are the gentle. I mean, verse 5, blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Notice chapter uh, chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. I don't know anyone uh, who would, particularly in American Western Christianity, who would see persecution as a blessing, but... Right there, the Bible says, blessed are the, the persecuted. So these are promised blessings, if you will, of what life in the kingdom is going to be like. These, this word blessed there uh, is the word makareos. It's a, it's a word that is more than happy, but a, a solid joy, content uh, in the midst of the things that are, that are taking place. There are... Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten of them here in Matthew chapter 5. But I want you to go back to the book of Revelation because I want you to see as much as you read and believe those in Matthew chapter 5, that we have beatitudes, if you will, in the book of Revelation. In fact, I want you to see the first one right here, and we'll point out the others in the, in the days ahead. But notice chapter 3, verse 1. It's the same language. It's the same construction. The word makareos, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who, who what? Blessed is he who, who what? Well, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy, and heed the things which are written in it. So in the book of Revelation, there is a promised blessing, if you will, to to those. So even though some would say you shouldn't even read it because you can't understand it, it's too, too difficult to understand, there are others who would certainly say, no, you should read it. God Himself, what's God's opinion? God's opinion is that you should read it. 
And God's opinion is that you should hear it. And there's something about hearing the Word of God read right without fanfare, but just the, the audible Word of God reading verses of Scripture. That's why we do Scripture reading in our, in our services. There's something special and unique about it. But blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. But it's not enough to read and to hear, but those who, what church, what does it say? Who heed it or obey it and obey it. Um, and so it's certainly important that we um, read the Word of God and that we heed the Word of God. But, but there's a particular blessing for those who read and hear and heed the Word of God, even in this book, this book of prophecy. In fact, if you want to, go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 18. And here... The Bible says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book and of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life, from the holy city, which are written in this book. And so we don't want to take anything away. We want to... We want to read it and we want to heed it. Look in Revelation chapter 22 verse 7. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. Notice these words. They're almost identical to chapter 1. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I want to point this out. Because as we walk through the book of Revelation, there are so many things that... Uh, so many details and timelines and things along those lines that are that are certainly there, but beloved, don't miss the point that we are to read and hear and heed the things that we see in this book. In this book, there's going to be a challenge for those who are faithful to remain faithful. In this book, there's going to be challenges to those who are unfaithful to repent and to become faithful. In this book, there's going to be a call of to those who are faithful to, to keep on keeping on and, and take it up a notch, if you will. To become even more serious about your faith. All throughout, spread throughout the book of Revelation are challenges to, to believers to, to persevere. Challenges to, to believers to keep on, to, to not give up, to, to be an overcomer. And there's also... There's also uh, warnings to those who are believers but who are walking at a guilty distance. And even more so, warnings. And I would say the opposite of blessing, cursings upon those who are unbelievers who will ultimately be separated from God. Does God expect us to read His Word? Sure He does. But he also expects us to heed his word. For example, uh, Luke chapter 6. Just to give you a couple of, ex of examples of that. Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Jesus says this. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I say? 
So Jesus is very concerned about those who claim the name of Christ and who have an understanding of His Word but refuse to obey it. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? I would say to you, along with so many other theologians, that that there are people who believe that you can know Jesus as Savior and then come to the place of Lordship in your life at some second stage where you become serious in your walk with Christ and you make Him Lord of your life. Beloved, the Bible knows nothing of that. To know Jesus as your personal Savior, rescued and redeemed, is to know Him as Lord of your life. So his question is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that, that I say? Over in, just a couple of pages over in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is going along and he's teaching. He's calling the Pharisees out. Actually, in Luke chapter 11, verse 27, while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and and said to him, so here's Jesus just teaching and perhaps people are walking by and they're seeing and they're, they're shouting out and they shout out something to Jesus that I've never heard in my life said to me, of course, uh, and that is, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. The idea is, is this person is just right, just praising God and, 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 and praising even the Mary who gave birth to Jesus. If there was ever a place in Scripture that Jesus would say... And validate that not only was Mary, yes, she was a virgin, yes, she was special, but she's not at the place of veneration and worship as as uh, our our Catholic friends would would believe. If there was ever a place that Jesus could affirm that, here would be the place, and yet he he did not. But he said, on the contrary. Now, now look at this. On the contrary. Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and what, church? Observe it, obey it, and do it. You want to be blessed? The the pathway to blessing is obedience. Not obedience to anything other than the Word of God that you read, the Word of God that you hear, and the Word of God that you heed. That's why James warns James warns us. He says, don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. So don't get in your mind that the study of the book of Revelation is only an information study. Don't get in your mind that this is only detail and and timelines. And don't get in your mind that these things. There is a call to obedience in this. There is a challenge to persevere in the faith. There is a challenge to walk faithfully, to repent and to return and to press ahead in your walk with God. And it even begins here in the very beginning in Revelation chapter 1 where it says blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words not of this history but of this prophecy the vast majority of New Testament believers believe that the events of the book of Revelation already happened in the past in first century A.D. They believe that it happened in conjunction with AD 70 and the temple being torn down and all the things that took place there, the, the predisposition. But the vast majority of Christians throughout the world 
do not believe the book of Revelation is prophecy. They believe that it is history or they believe that it is analogy or metaphor. But God says so here. He says so over again in Revelation chapter 22 that it is prophecy. The liberals say, yeah, well, if it's prophecy, it's been 2,000 years and it hasn't come about. God must not be able to bring it about in which we who are Bible-believing Christians who believe in the inerrancy of Scripture say it hasn't happened because it hasn't happened yet. Optimal word, yet. And the last thing I think that's important for us to look at in this book, and we are to not only read the Word and hear the Word and heed the words, we are to study the things that relate to prophecy and pull the Old Testament things in and help it make sense, and we certainly have done that and will continue to do that. But let's be reminded. Notice the last thing it says in these verses. For the time is near. Beloved, I hope you believe with all of your heart that the time is near for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you believe with all of your heart and it plays itself out demonstrably in your life that you believe the Lord Jesus Christ could come back at any time. I hope that you are living your life in such a way that you are looking towards the eastern sky. I hope that you prophetically and and, and practically, I hope that you're living your life in such a way that you are anticipating the Lord's return, that you're doing more to lay your treasure up in heaven than you are to establish it here on earth, that you are doing more to prepare for where you will spend all of eternity than what you are being comfortable here upon this earth. The time is near. And beloved, I would argue, and I think you would agree with me as well through our time the study of God's Word, that there's nothing yet that's holding back or hindering God from returning and coming again. There's nothing at all. He could return at any moment. In fact, Brother Lawrence wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And in that practicing the presence of God, uh, he said that you should live your life every day as though God were right beside you. You should live your life today in the presence of God because you will live all of eternity in the presence of God. Hey, how would your life be affected if you honestly believed that God was right beside you, looking over your shoulder, looking at your phone, what was on your screen, considering the intentions and the motives of your heart. How would your life be different if you thought that the Lord Jesus Christ was hearing all of the words that come out of your mouth? It's funny, even as a pastor, people's language tends to change whenever they find out that I'm a pastor. The jokes often get cleaner and the language gets cleaned up as well or... Other conversations may or may not happen or take place once word is out that there's a pastor over there. Listen, how much more so? And I don't think those things are necessary to change, by the way. In fact, I wish people would just be who they are as they are. I'm not the one they need to be concerned about. It's the Lord Jesus they need to be concerned about. But what would change in your life if you truly believe... That the time is near and that it could happen. For some of us, perhaps nothing. For others, maybe it would give us hope to hold on, to struggle a little bit longer, to endure a little more. 
maybe be to pray a little harder. If we truly believe the time is near, I believe that maybe we'd walk a little closer. And perhaps we would pursue our neighbor, we pursue our co-worker, our school friends. We would pursue those who are lost with love and with the gospel and with truth. Maybe with a little more urgency than what we have now. The fact of the matter is, it's right here in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. But you can look and see the signs of the times, right? Beloved, the time is near. And we're not going to miss it. We're not concerned about it like the Thessalonians were. But we do want to reflect those truths in our lives. Well, I hope this has been a good introduction to the book of the Revelation, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we're going to pick up talking about the message to the seven churches next week. But we want to close our time in prayer and want to uh, just kind of issue a warning and a challenge to think on these things. And to ask yourself, am I reading the Word of God? There, it's clear right here. I've had conversations in recent days where unfortunately people have said, you know, I don't read the Bible the way as much as I ought to, as much as I should. Uh, for some, the only Bible they'll get is if a Christian happens to post a Bible verse on Facebook or whatnot there. But beloved, are you spending systematic time throughout your study in the Word of God? Blessed is he who, who reads it. But probably one of the saddest things I've heard in recent days are those who read the Word of God and who know the Word of God and who believe that God is blessing their lives that's lived contrary to the Word of God as though it's no big deal. Beloved, God gives us His Word to guide our steps every day. And the more that you know God, to know Him is to love Him. To love Him is to trust Him. And beloved, to trust Him is to obey. So let's make sure that we are hearing the Word of God. But let's make sure that we are heeding the Word of God and understand the urgency of the time. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for the privilege we have to study Your Word. And Father, we pray that You would allow Your Word to go forth and be a blessing to others. Father, we pray that You would use uh, this message uh, to stir in our hearts and lives. Father, if there's one who is lost, who is outside of the kingdom of God, who's not yet repented of their sin or believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that, Father, that you would draw them to yourself, that, Father, that your word would be a magnet, that you would open their eyes to their sinful need, sinfulness and need for a Savior. And, Father, that you would wash their hearts white as snow, that you would save them, redeem them, lead them to repentance and trust. Father, if there are Christians that are listening to this or hearing this and they're walking at a guilty distance, Father, I pray that they would understand that the time is near and, Father, that they, they too would draw near, that they would repent and they would believe and they would, they would see uh, you work and move mightily in their lives. And, Father, for those who are walking faithful, I pray that you would press them on a little bit further in their walk, that they would continue to walk even closer and continue to step out in faith in greater capacity. But Father, may all of us, all of us, seek those around us, communicate the gospel to them. Because Lord, the time is near where there will be the great separation between those who believe and those who do not. The time is near for those who believe to be 
called up to be in your presence forever. And the time is near for those who have not believed to have their eternal eternal destiny and their fate established forever in that lake of fire. May we live with urgency and may we live knowing the time is near. And God, we're going to give you the glory for it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen.